Hi, listeners. I'm your host, Rebecca Kelly, and welcome back to The Station, a fiction podcast about a derelict space station called The Delta. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you could drop into your podcast player and leave it a five-star rating. This helps me reach more people, and I appreciate every single person who listens to the story. In the last episode, we learned that Ida Shepard has suddenly run up with a deadline. The ion engine on the Delta has stopped working, and she has a limited amount of time to either fix the engine or find a way off the Delta for good before it comes crashing down into the atmosphere. Also, many years earlier, New Shepard has just said goodbye to her crewmates, and she's now alone on the Delta. She's about to get some incredible news of her own. Let's hop back in time and rejoin New to find out how her life is about to change forever. Here is Chapter 17 of The Station. It had been four days since the Soyuz left the Delta. New spent much of that time carrying on station maintenance. She wasn't a spiritual person, but she did spend the first few hours after Andre and Vincent left trying to drum up some positive vibes for the spacecraft and its occupants. Only she had known about those thermal blankets coming loose, and just because they were loose didn't mean the ship wasn't in perfectly good shape. She figured a little thoughtful meditation focused on a safe landing wouldn't hurt. The truth was, she didn't know if they'd made it to the surface alive, and she wouldn't know until she had surface communication again. The fact that she had no control over it drove her crazy, so she concentrated on work as much as possible. The Delta was never meant to function totally on its own. It was always supposed to have support for mission control. New had her work cut out for her to fool the computer system into thinking that she was mission control. Many of the programs automatically deferred to ground control for reference when certain commands didn't execute properly. Things like orientation, orbital maneuvering, and solar shielding were normally calculated on the ground, with the commands sent to the computers through data uplinks. So far, she'd done a good job of reprogramming the station computers and had everything in working order. But as each hour passed, she became more and more anxious about the safety of the men who had departed in the Soyuz. It wasn't a good sign that they had entered the atmosphere almost four days prior, and she was still without communications. If they did make it back alive, they would have made contact with space agencies by now and let them know that she was still up there. She had, of course, considered the possibility that they had landed somewhere unexpected. The math had put them at a landing spot right in the heart of Kazakhstan, not far from the Cosmodrome in Baikonur. However, even a tiny miscalculation meant they could land hundreds of kilometers off course. If the calculation was far enough off, they could have even landed in the ocean which would have been a disaster. No, they landed in the steppe, she thought to herself, presenting the idea to her brain as if it were a fact. They landed in the Kazakh steppe, right where they were supposed to. Perhaps they camped for the night since the landing took place in the mid-afternoon. Then they made their way back to Baikonur, where they weren't expected, but were given a grand welcome in the face of this sudden and horrific war. Now, they were working to get communications with the station back up and running. Yes, she thought. That's what happened. It was Wednesday, 1911 GMT, 
and Nu sat at the kitchen table in the G, picking at her meal of Mexican-style rice and beans. She'd chosen a vegetarian meal because the thought of eating meat made her stomach flip. A movie played on the hollow screen in front of her, but she wasn't watching it. She wasn't even sure what the movie was. For some reason, she had a hard time concentrating tonight. Instead, she stared across the module out the narrow window. The earth spun around out there, keeping pace with the G. After a few more moments, she gave up on the half-eaten meal and walked to the cellar for a banana. That made three bananas for her that day. She didn't even like bananas, but for some reason, the idea of eating bananas really appealed to her. As she chewed on the ripe fruit, she counted what remained of her supply. Only six bananas left. The last supply ship had been up a week prior and had brought fresh fruit. These bananas had been beautiful, yet bitter and lime green when they came up. Now they were perfectly ripe. She resumed her position at the kitchen table and watched the earth through the windows again. She felt totally alone. She was totally alone. And that thought suddenly made her terribly sad. The tears started. Not hysterical sobbing tears, but rather soft rolling tears that flowed easily down her cheeks. After a minute or two mindlessly chewing her banana, the peel fell from her hand and hit the table with a thud. She jumped up and ran for the garbage bag that hung on the hook next to the cooler and vomited. When the last of the rice and beans and banana lay at the bottom of the bag, her body fell limp to the floor and she laid there, squeezing her arms to her stomach, curled up in a ball, willing the nausea to pass. She laid there for what seemed like hours before she finally peeled herself up off the floor and walked, doubled over, to her sleeping compartment. It normally took her many minutes, sometimes hours, to fall asleep, but on this day, she fell asleep almost immediately. New woke up many hours later and felt as though she had been asleep for days. In a panic, she grabbed her digital watch off the hook where it hung on the wall and looked at it through sleep-filled eyes. It read 0532 GMT, which was exactly 13 minutes before her alarm was set to go off and wake her for the day. Relief flooded out of her lungs in a single long sigh. As she started to move to get up for the day, her body groaned in protest. As much as her mind wanted to start the day, her body wasn't having it, and she curled up tighter, letting the sleep sack support her weight. What was wrong with her? Sleeping in was not her style. Millicent Shepard was a worker. When she was a teenager growing up on her parents' dairy farm in rural Minnesota, she worked long hours milking cows in the barn before school. Then she worked night shifts at the grocery store in the nearest town. Sometimes it was after midnight before she got home, but she never complained. Work kept her sane, kept her driven. That's why she loved being an astronaut. The long hours, the years of mission preparation, the rigorous training, it was perfect for her. But something was off now. She decided to go back to sleep. Obviously, she was having some emotional issues from all these recent happenings. Perhaps it was her body telling her that she needed to rest. Yes, rest will help, she thought. With a brief sigh, she closed her eyes and slipped back to sleep easily. No counting necessary. (music) 
Another three days passed with no communication. New floated in the microgravity of the VP and watched the earth spin beneath her. In her hand was the last banana. She chewed on the fruit methodically. Bananas. What a strange thing to crave, she thought. The garden was not a tropical oasis. There were no banana trees growing in it. So when this one was done, she would have to go without. She savored it. The banana made her think of Andre. He loved bananas. In fact, the reason the supply ship had carried so many bananas was because of him. He had requested them. Until now, she never understood why. She wondered if maybe her subconscious craved him. She knew that her conscious mind did. He was all she could think about these days. For the past three days, she had spent her time programming computer systems. It was a big project, but one that needed to be done. As the days ticked by, it became more and more clear to her that the stay on board the station would be longer than she expected. Something else bothered her, too. When the station swung around the earth into the dark of the night, there weren't any lights on the surface anymore. Usually, she could see little bundles of light spreading throughout areas of the globe. Many parts of the surface were always dark, of course, like oceans and mountains. But now, there was nothing anywhere. Even over the most populated areas, London, Paris, New York, Rio de Janeiro, there were always lights there. But now, there was nothing. She wondered if it was possible that there was no electricity anywhere. The thought of it was so cold and terrifying that she tried not to let it occupy her mind for too long. There was a war going on, after all. She knew this. Maybe the people of the world were laying low. That's all it was. They were just waiting it out, she thought. In the meantime, she would be prepared. She went through her food supplies and perishables. The water supply would be okay. There was enough water on board to support a crew of six for up to six months, and that included watering the garden. The water reclamation system was near perfect, with a 98% efficiency in recycling waste. Without the added burden of extra humans to support, it would last indefinitely, as long as she kept it running. Food was another matter. The supply ships usually came up once every two months, depending on how many crew members were on board. The garden was in the experimental stages, not meant to supply the crew with all of its food just yet, so she needed to increase the garden capacity. She'd already cleared out a further 12 square meters of space to plant in the G. If she needed to, she could take over the remaining five sleep compartments and use them as planting space too. The plants that were on board could sustain her for a long time, but she didn't want to take any chances. She would make this garden as big and lush as possible, given the limited space. One problem was soil. There just wasn't that much of it. She had a solution for this, though. Plants usually didn't need a ton of soil to survive. Of course, that depends on the plant, but most plants will do fine with less soil. Limited space tends to make them smaller, but she wasn't concerned about space. She figured that if she could cut the soil on the existing plants by a third across the board she could easily fill up her extra garden space. The garden was already set up to recycle solid waste from the astronauts. The reclamation system took the waste and mixed it with a chemical cocktail that made it less smelly. Then deposit pipes moved the newly made fertilizer directly into the soil. In the past, it wasn't necessary to recycle everything. 
The system collected a quarter of the waste for use in the garden, and the rest was freeze-dried and packaged into garbage containers. These containers were then bundled into expendable supply ships that were deliberately burned up in the atmosphere. Now, she needed as much fertilizer as she could get, so she reprogrammed the system to recycle everything. Nothing would be sent outside. As she stared out the VP windows, thinking about her newly reworked garden, she took the last bite of her banana and tucked the peel into the pocket of her flight suit to take to the fertilizer processing unit. Enough thought. Time to get back to work. In the G-module bathroom, there was a small bulkhead window that faced away from the rest of the ship. The designers decided that people might want to watch the world spin around while they did their business on the toilet. The earth would flow in and out of the window as the module turned, and sunlight would do something similar, ebbing and flowing like water around the little room. For a new astronaut, not used to the spin of the centrifugal module, it could be a dizzying experience. But New was a seasoned veteran of the station, very much used to the sensation of the spinning light. So it surprised her when she found herself laid out on the floor, puking into the toilet again. She knew it wasn't the spinning. No, this didn't have anything to do with the ship, and she knew that. In the cabinet under the bathroom sink, there was a medical kit. NASA always included a pregnancy test in their medical kits as a just-in-case item. All the necessary precautions were taken to ensure that women were not pregnant when they made their way up to the station. The test was there as an easy way to rule out pregnancy when women became sick on board. After the nausea passed, New decided it was time to rule out pregnancy. She opened her eyes and pulled herself off the floor, reaching over to the small cabinet. Inside the medical kit, she found the usual. Tweezers, bandages, gauze, tape pain medication, antibacterial cream, tampons. The little kit wasn't there for fixing big medical problems. The station had a state-of-the-art med bay by the kitchen that was stocked with more advanced medical equipment and supplies. There were always nicks and cuts happening on the station, just as there would be in any workplace. Once, a cosmonaut broke her arm during a nasty run-in with the wall. They x-rayed it, set the bone, and it healed in a surprisingly short amount of time. The absence of gravity is typically detrimental to bone health, but they found through the broken bone incident that the cosmonaut's arm healed better than it would have on Earth. The G's low gravity offered enough resistance to allow the bone to heal, and because she could use the arm with less pain than she would have in full gravity, it healed in record time. New now held the small medical kit in her hands. Enclosed in its own compartment under the lid was the pregnancy test noted so by its label. With a resigned sigh, she slid it out of its holder and unwrapped it to find the instructions. She had never taken one before, so she wanted to get it right. Most women, by the time they had reached her age, 36, would have had some experience with one of these, but she wasn't interested in starting a family. She was also very careful about this type of thing. Pregnancy was not a good thing for a female astronaut hoping to get a flight assignment. She carefully read the instructions from beginning to end. She didn't want to taint the results because of user error. Exactly 11 minutes later, she sat on the floor, her knees drawn up to her chest. Her forearms rested on top of her knees. 
and the pregnancy test dangled from her fingertips. As the G spun, the sunlight beamed into the small bathroom and quickly zoomed back out. It didn't want to be in there any more than she did. The two pink lines on the center panel of the pregnancy test were undeniable. Positive. Of course, she knew the outcome before she even took the test. What she really couldn't understand was how it had happened. She was very careful about taking her birth control pills at the same time every day. She hadn't skipped a single pill. She knew this for a fact. These modern birth control pills were almost 100% effective. Yet, here she was, pregnant. She wondered if it was because of the microgravity. Perhaps it affected the female reproductive system in some unknown way. As far as she knew, nobody had ever had an affair while working on a spaceship. So really, there was no way of knowing if birth control worked in this type of environment. The thought made her chuckle to herself. NASA was so meticulous about testing everything involved with space travel many times over, yet they had never looked into what might happen if two of their astronauts began a relationship. With a sigh, she tossed the test into the bathroom garbage bag and pulled herself up off the floor. As she walked out of the bathroom, she glanced at herself in the mirror. She looked terrible. Her eyes were baggy with dark circles hovering beneath them, and she could tell that her face was thinner than it had been before her crew left. She may very well be pregnant, but she knew enough about space, and particularly the dangers of radiation, to know that this child of hers would probably not make it very far without the safe protection of the Earth's atmosphere. As soon as she thought about the radiation, she felt a sadness creep into her. She brought her hand down to her stomach and closed her eyes, letting her fingers rest where she imagined her baby to be. Be safe, little one, she said, before opening her eyes and continuing on with her day's work. Thanks for listening, sci-fi fans. Join me for the next episode where we'll see how New plans to deal with being the first pregnant woman to ever live in space. See you then. Bye.